0: retirement crisis is very much a women's crisis. The World Economic Forum found that around the globe, women's retirement balances are typically 30 to 40 percent lower than those of men. And this retirement readiness gap widens further when you look along racial and economic lines. Welcome to The Bid, where we break down what's happening in the markets and explore the forces changing in investing. I'm your host, Liz Kaler. March, is Women's History Month. So I'm especially excited to welcome two spectacular women on the show today, Anne Ackerley, head of BlackRock's Retirement Group, and Karen Andres, Project Director for Aspen Institute's Retirement Savings Initiative. Together, we'll explore the challenges facing women and retirement, and how the industry can help strengthen women's financial well-being for generations to come. Karen and Anne, welcome to The Bid. Thanks so much for having
1: us, Liz. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. It's great to be here, thank you, Liz.
0: To get us started, do you mind telling us how you got into financial services to begin with?
1: Sure, I graduated from college and went into investment banking, not really knowing anything about it, but found that I I really quite liked it. And along the way, I met a very small company called BlackRock, and um, after a few years as they started to grow, Um, They asked me to come over and and help um, grow the business, and that's how I I wound up at BlackRock and then ultimately in uh, retirement. Wonderful. Karen, how about you?
2: Yeah, a small small company called BlackRock, Ann. I love it. (laughs) So um, my story starts um, in my dad's generation, actually. So my family is from Kentucky, and my dad went from growing up on a popcorn farm to being a plant sponsor of um, his company's retirement plan. And uh, he and I used to watch uh, Louis Rukeyser together on PBS. Uh, And so I went straight from college into the 401k industry. I became a 401k educator where I spent four or five years in boardrooms and also the break rooms of meatpacking plants doing 401k education. And I pretty quickly got hooked on retirement savings as a critical financial inclusion issue. So I've been on the nonprofit and think tank side of retirement savings and, and banking and financial services for about 20 years.
0: Fantastic, I love these stories and how life and our journeys can take us to places, especially when we follow our passion. So we're in 2022, right? 2 years since covid began and fundamentally changed a lot work environments managing uh, remote school and childcare massive layoffs the great resignation as you sit back and take stock of the current environment and some of the challenges that have cropped up you know what does this mean how has this impacted retirement planning for women
1: i'll take a step first at that liz and actually maybe just take a minute to say what was happening pre-pandemic. Retirement planning for women actually is challenging for a whole number of reasons. When women retire, they often have about 30% less money than men in the United States. It varies across the globe. And the reasons are, you know, one, having to do with the wage gender gap. Women make on average 82 cents on the dollar. So even if they're saving the same percentage as men, in absolute terms, that's a, a lower amount. And that compounds over time. You know, couple that with the fact that women are often in and out of the workforce due to child care or elder care and have periods where there might not be earning money and saving. And you get this very wide gap for women. You know, so that's kind of where we start from. And then let's throw in the, the pandemic, which which has obviously been an incredibly challenging time for everybody, male and female, but you know if we focus on on women, we know that women disproportionately lost jobs through the pandemic, right, given the types of jobs that women are in, often retail or service, um, many women lost their jobs, and because of all the child care and daycare issues, many women were forced to leave the workforce to do care during the pandemic. We hit the lowest partition rate of women in the labor force since like 1988. It's been something like 35 years since participation with women has been this low. Now, it's starting to come back up as we hope the pandemic recedes somewhat. But my understanding is that there's still like 1.1 million fewer women in the workforce today than there were pre-pandemic. So there are women who are earning less or not earning at all and, and
2: not being able to save And that makes sort of what was already a challenging issue
1: even more challenging.
2: That was a very fulsome answer, Anne. I would just add that, uh, and I can see this in my own life, right? I'm a mom of an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, so I have one in in a daycare, preschool setting. And staffing shortages that were started in the pandemic and have continued, and the COVID-related shutdowns, of classrooms at all levels have made it hard, right? When I look at that 1.1 or 1.4 million women who are still out of the workforce as compared to February 2020, that's a big deal. Right, and let's,
1: let's just remember these sorts of things compound over time because even just a couple of years out of the workforce and not saving compounds, it's lost
2: potential to earn returns. Right, and when you combine that with the cost of childcare and fewer workers in childcare driving up the cost of childcare further, I mean, Childcare is astronomically expensive. I, I did a little digging and the Department of Health and Human Services says that child care should be 7% of a household budget. In not one single state is the cost of child care less than 9% and it goes up to 36%. So my own childcare here in Michigan, I'm hardly Manhattan is 60% higher than the average mortgage payment in the United States. So the combination of these things, right, the upheaval in the labor market, the demands, the inconsistency and the cost of childcare, I think that goes a long way to explaining what's happening with over a million women who are still out of the workforce.
1: I did want to mention, you know, not all women experience the pandemic the same way. And You know, certainly women of color, and I believe women, kids under the age of five, were most negatively impacted by the pandemic. In other cases, I think for some women who have corporate jobs, were able to work from home, maybe didn't have young kids at home, savings actually went up. So we have really a tale of multiple cities here with women experiencing the pandemic differently
0: incredibly important insights is that there was a, a gap to begin with and you can see how this adds up to some major challenges for women today. Research shows that women tend to be often better savers and investors right which is encouraging but but based on BlackRock's DC pulse survey, it showed that women were just not as confident as men when it comes to planning for their retirement. Can we talk about why the experience is so different between women and men?
1: The DC Pulse, the numbers are something like 59% of women feel they're on track for retirement versus something like 78% of men. So that's a pretty significant difference. I think probably the reason why women may feel less confident about being on track goes back to everything that we just said. I think that this is a more challenging, in some ways, different equation for women. That if you know that you may be making less and you may be making less because you've chosen a different industry or maybe even there's, you know, just, uh, you know, not always pay equity in, in the same jobs. So you're making less and you know that you might have gaps in your working life, either for for childcare or elder care. And we haven't even talked about the fact that women live longer. On average, I think it's like five years longer than men. so. Uh, You could see why the notion that you have to somehow prepare for this, it
2: can be quite challenging. And I think, are we asking the right question here, which is... How can we address the conditions of women's financial lives that make it possible for them to save and invest? We should probably build more support into women's lives for the different times and phases of providing care for children, for aging parents, for other loved ones, right, for disabled family members. Women are so busy. That's not just a thing that we observe. There's a lot of research now about the mental load of running a household. That women disproportionately carry, we have no societal support for that, we could, and we should
1: we could also throw in maybe fixing the, the the pay gap would would be extremely helpful too. I think companies can control that. One of the big things that I tell young women is negotiate your salary, which seems like well, that seems sort of
2: obvious, but Many women don't. Also, student loan debt is, uh, is excuse female, right? 58% of all outstanding student loan debt is held by women. While I shared experience, it does impact women differently and it'll impact women of color even more, right? And in more damaging financial ways. So I think it's hard to have a conversation about women being confident about their retirement savings without talking about some of those systemic factors.
0: I think what I'm hearing is this is so multifaceted, right? You have to understand women's needs and unique neurology, we have to try to make things a bit easier, a bit more systematic and look at this in the full context. But this idea that women don't exist as a monolith, right? I'd love Mm -hmm. to uh, expand a little bit on this idea. What are some of the biggest drivers of inequity in your mind? And which are some areas most ready for disruption?
2: So I think to get into this question, I want to look at households by wealth instead of income. And I just to break it down, the definition of wealth, that is assets, less total liabilities or debts. So let's look at America by by wealth. If you look at that wealth gap, so total assets minus total liabilities, it dwarfs the income gap, right? So some studies suggest that the gap from women to men on wealth is 33 cents on the dollar. And it's a little difficult to measure because married women within a household can be difficult to measure whose wealth is who's, right? So we have to look at a few different proxies and way to do it. But all the data would point to women's wealth being significantly less um, than men's for all the reasons that we've been talking about. But let's break this down a little bit. If you look at total wealth, we end up seeing some really honestly devastating numbers for women who are minorities, um, right? So Black women and Hispanic women, if you break it down by race, single Black women have a, a median wealth of only $200 as compared to $10,000 $10,000 per median wealth for men. Hispanic women have a median wealth of only $100, which is less than a penny of the wealth held by single white men. Divorced women, Across races, have a quarter of the wealth of divorced men. We've got income gaps that are driven by labor market discrimination of various kinds and also occupational segregation. We don't have everybody of all races and genders winding up in the same kinds of jobs. That's not happening. And in an employer driven system of benefits, including retirement savings, including health care for many people, you can end up with some significant disparities that end up. A kind of accumulating over time in different ways, impacting different groups and different races differently. And like I said, 58% of student loan debt belongs to women. I need to double click on Black women here. After 12 years of payments, Black women on average owe 13% more than what they borrowed, while white men see their debt drop 44% in the same period. So that is devastating. That's not just not building wealth. That is Wealth. So many different causes here, but I'll just zoom out and say that the number one form of household wealth in the U.S. is home equity. Whole series of challenges there to help women and specifically women of color get access to the pathways that would help build wealth through home equity. Retirement savings is the number two form of household wealth. And I think we know what to do here, right? I think we know ways that we can make this system build wealth for everybody, for women, for women of color. We can give everybody access to it. If we universalize access to workplace retirement savings, that's like job number one. I wanted to double click just a little bit on access. I know that when I took
1: over as the head of the, the retirement group at BlackRock, and this was about eight years ago, I guess I was shocked to actually find out that there is no rule in the United States that an employer provide a retirement plan. If they do, yes, there are all sorts of rules under ERISA that you have to follow. And what happens is that 55 million Americans at least don't have access to a workplace retirement savings plan. And we know that when they do have access, they're 15 to 20 times more likely to save
0: First of all, some pretty sobering numbers. And second, I would say we're consistent with two themes from this conversation. One, which is we need to dive deeper to truly understand what's going on. You need to go levels deeper to understand who and how and what is impacting people's lives and and retirement planning. One of the things I've heard in conversations with financial advisors myself is there's often this disconnect between what retirees plan for and what really matters uh, once they retire. So I'd love to ask you, what are some of the questions women should be asking themselves as they prepare for
2: retirement? I'm always fascinated by the data that we're starting to see about how are people actually spending? in retirement, right? Um, and it's, it's, it's not what we think, right? That sometimes, if I'm not mistaken, Anne, don't spending levels for a few years kind of go up before they then tail off? Um, this isn't, you know, it used to be the model. I mean, even when, my, when I was a 401k educator, right? People had it all mapped out. They're like, well, by the time I get to retirement, I'll have the mortgage paid off, I'll have the car paid off, kids are out of the house, I can sell the house, move into a smaller place, dial down my expenses, so my modest balance is enough. And that's not what's happening anymore, I don't think. Anne, I'm curious, what is, you you think about this a lot, right?
1: Yes, and actually I think as people get closer to retirement, they still may have adult children that they are helping to support, or they may, I mean, believe it or not, they may have aging parents. My husband is retired, his father is still alive, and we've got adult children, And so there are all these situations, I think, you know, you're saying spending might actually go up because we've got this multi-generational issue, you know, might be one reason. Ultimately, I think the data shows that most people wind up having spending come down. I think in the retirement business, a little bit, we make it, what would you like your income to be? And how much do you think you're gonna spend each year? And and these are very, very important questions, do not get me wrong. But we might wanna start with, What are you trying to do in retirement? You know, some people might want to continue working part-time or, you know, they might be wanting to do some sort of not-for-profit. And I think having a sense of what is the purpose and what what are those sort of life goals might then help us as we think about the math equation of you've got the savings and how much can you spend in retirement.
0: Yeah, I love it, Anne, and I think we hear in the research, right, this notion of, of purpose and values and people, right, in our lives drives everyone, but certainly drives women, and I think it can be quite a strong motivator as well.
2: You know, Liz, can I just also add a couple other thoughts here? So something that comes to mind that we often don't talk about, but Social Security and delaying claiming. I've seen a variety of data sets that reveal that we're not getting that right either for people, right? That people are not claiming usually at the optimal time. And and most of your listeners will be aware, but there's a significant benefit to delaying claiming. You know, you have a guaranteed on average 8% return per every year that you delay claiming up until the maximum. And so there have been a few ideas circulated that, what if the purpose of retirement savings was actually, especially of a modest balance, just to generate income to allow you to delay as long as possible to maximize your social security payment, right? And what if public policy had a role in that, right? As we, as we see auto IRA programs kind of uh, popping up in a variety of different states. I feel like that there's an opportunity there around, especially for households with lower balances, there's a delay claiming conversation there that, that really matters. And you know, one more thought here, we have begun at Aspen FSP to convene what we call our community advisory group. We felt it was important for us to begin to really listen to the voices of low income women, women with lived experience of financial vulnerability, um, as another way of knowing and listening to what people need in their own lives. And I have to say, it has been su- surprising. Uh, perhaps for some, I mean, myself included, that there is a strong desire um, when, when asked about what do you want your retirement, the third third of your life to look like, what matters to you, even among women with low incomes and low wealth, the idea that building wealth and passing on a measure of wealth to their families is absolutely a goal. I'm going to go into our final question
0: and staying with you for a moment, I'd love to ask, what is the number one thing the retirement industry needs to do in order to better serve women and those future
2: generations? I'm going to have to say the number one thing we need to do is make sure everyone in America has access to automatic enrollment into retirement savings. Anne, how about you?
1: Well, I'm go- going to agree with Karen that I think access is the number one thing that needs to happen just because we know that when you have access you're you're just more likely to save. And it actually seems like that should be relatively easy to solve. I would say in addition to policy, right? So we could consider whether, you know, there should be some policy that every company needs to provide a plan asking Companies today to provide a plan, I think is different than maybe if we asked them 20 years ago, even for small companies in terms of the cost or the burden. I think if I got to do a second one, I'd probably call on companies and the government to eliminate the pay gap. And while I know some of the pay gap is certainly due to the, the industries that women go in, for sure, I think we've got to work harder that men and women in the United States Have pay parity.
0: For both of you, your passion just shines through. We are so grateful to have brilliant minds like yours thinking about this each and every day. And I just want to thank you both, Karen and Anne, for joining us today on The Bid. Thank you for all that you do on behalf of women and frankly, for investors everywhere each and every day.
3: Thanks so much, Liz. Thank you. This information is for informational purposes only and is prepared by BlackRock, is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, or investment advice, and is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of date of publication and are subject to change. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by BlackRock to be reliable and are not guaranteed as to accuracy or completeness. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. There is no guarantee that any forecast made will come to pass. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. Past performance is not indicative of current or future results. The information provided is neither tax nor legal advice, and investors should consult with their own advisors before making investment decisions. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not get back the amount invested. In the U.S. and Canada, this material is intended for public distribution. In the UK and non-European Economic Area (EEA) countries, this is issued by BlackRock Investment Management UK Limited, authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Registered office: 12 and Avenue, London EC2N 2DL. Telephone: +44 020 7743 3000. Registered in England and Wales, number 02020394. For your protection, telephone calls are usually recorded. Please refer to the Financial Conduct Authority website for a list of authorized activities conducted by BlackRock. In the European Economic Area, EEA, this is issued by BlackRock Netherlands BV, is authorized and regulated by the Netherlands Authority for the Financial Markets. Registered Office, Amstelplein 1-1096-HA, Amsterdam, Telephone 020-549-5200, Telephone 3120-549-5200, Trade Registered Number 1706 For your protection, telephone calls are usually recorded. For investors in Switzerland, this is marketing material. In Singapore, this is issued by BlackRock Singapore Limited, Company Registration Number 200010143N. This advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. In Hong Kong, this material is issued by BlackRock Asset Management North Asia Limited and has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. In Australia, issued by BlackRock Investment Management Australia Limited ABN 13006165975 AFSL 230523 BIMAL. The material provides general information only and does not take into account your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, or circumstances. Before making any investment decision, you should assess whether the material is appropriate for you and obtain financial advice tailored to you having regard to your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, and circumstances. In Latin America, this material is for educational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice, nor an offer or solicitation to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any shares of any fund, nor shall any shares be offered or sold to anyone in any jurisdiction in which an offer, solicitation, purchase, or sale would be unlawful under the securities law of that jurisdiction. If any funds are mentioned or inferred to in this material, it is possible that some or all of the funds may not have been registered with the securities regulator of Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Mexico, Panama, Peru, Uruguay, or any other securities regulator in any Latin American country, and thus may not be publicly offered within any such country. The securities regulators of such countries have not confirmed the accuracy of any information contained herein. The provision of investment management and investment advisory services is a regulated activity in Mexico, thus is subject to strict rules. For more information on the investment advisory services offered by BlackRock Mexico, please refer to the investment services guide available at www.blackrock.com forward slash MX. Copyright 2022 BlackRock Incorporated. All rights reserved. BlackRock is a registered trademark of BlackRock Incorporated. All other trademarks are those of their respective owners.